The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com The scripture reference is going to be out of Psalm chapter 121, verses 1 through 8. Psalm 121, verses 1 through 8. And so, I think looking at this scripture and, and, and really contemplating and, and praying at the, at the scripture, this is, um, this is a, a set of passages that when I was uh, taking Hebrew in seminary, that really kind of stuck out to me. And when you read this, this morning it brings up things like suffering, hard times, devastating events, tragedy, bad things, if you will. I mean, in a rhetorical sense, has anybody here, has anyone that you know of experienced, gone through, faced, had to deal with, had to wrestle with any of those things in your life? Because I think most of us have to at least one degree or another, some much more than others. And for me, a lot of questions come to mind. Uh, a lot of times we hear some of these types of questions when we're talking to other people, even non-believers, even believers. When we're faced with some things that we don't have answers to right away. Have you heard, is God even aware? Is he in control? I mean, I've heard that he is supposed to be. We're told that he is. We're told that he is all-powerful. But does he even care? Has he seen what I have been going through? Why do these things even happen? Family, we, we may not even understand or even know why, in its totality, why these things happen. The hard truth is, is that everyone goes through or experiences these types of evil or suffering or trials or struggles or frustrations and hurts and hardships. So here's another question. Does God get us out of those things? Does he allow us to go through them? Maybe both. When life's events bring suffering, loss and pain and confusion, the question then can become, who do you look to during those times? Is there really help that we can count on? Is there a place that you can go to for safety, for truth? These are some questions that I hope that we can, if at anything, try to apprehend, maybe wrestle with, and see God's scripture this morning, that we might hold on to it, that there might be transformation that truly brings change this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for inviting us into your house this morning. 
Lord, as we open your word, Lord, let your word be truth. Father, let it go forth to accomplish everything it was designed to accomplish for in your timing, in your purpose. Lord, we may not understand everything, but Lord, this morning I ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive and hide your word. Lord, truly bring transformation by your word this morning that we might walk out of here and you are from your house differently than the way that we walked in this morning, Lord. Give us strength, help our faith, Lord, truly, that we can, in all that we do, bring glory to you. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. So again, uh, Psalm 121 is where we'll be studying out of this morning. We're going to go through these line by line, or lines by lines this morning, so that we can break this down and take a look at it a little bit. Knowing, though, this psalm is a literature metaphor. And in that, we can glean on the physical, the historical, and the redemptive meaning of it. So you'll also may note that this morning, there will not be any, I don't, I won't have, I don't have scriptures up here. So if you have your Bibles, if you have your smartphones, if you're taking notes... Uh, you may want to have those at hand this morning as we go through that again, as they won't be up on the, on the monitors for us this morning. I apologize. But three points, again, if you're taking notes, again, we're going to be starting Psalm 121, but three points today. Point number one will be that God is the creator of all. That's the title of the sermon, the guardian of the galaxy. Point number two will be, he is our covenant keeper for his namesake. Point number three is Jesus is our perfecter. So let's read Psalm 121, starting in verse one. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth. And forevermore. Amen. So a little bit of a background in this, just briefly setting this. This this is actually, this psalm is a song. And it's part of other songs that are called the Song of Ascent. And they're really really contained from chapters 120 in the Psalms 120 all the way through Psalm 134. And they were there because they were sung by the children of Israel, by the Israelites. They were sung as their pilgrimage on their way to Jerusalem and Mount Zion in the temple as they were to go there for the sacrifices so that they could worship the Lord. And Jerusalem, that is in the hill country, Mount Zion on the top, it's in a mountainous area. And in that area, surrounding that, is three valleys to get there. Three times a year, 
Israel gathered there for these types of sacrifices so that they could worship the Lord their God. Remember, it was God who brought them out of Egypt from slavery. Why? So that they could worship their Lord, their God. So this time, three times, they are coming through these valleys. And, and for some of them, it wasn't just, let's call an Uber, right? It wasn't like, you know, hey, let, let, it's, just, it's just down the street, man. I mean, you know what, for us, if, if, if a Walmart or a Costco is, is more than 20 minutes away, this is a problem. These folks had to pack. They had to plan. They had to set aside and save money. They had to, the, the money for, for the offerings of the animals if they didn't have any themselves. They had to buy them. Or if they did, they had to pack them up and bring food and everything with the I mean, if any of you have got pets, I mean, just to go on vacation is not to just go on vacation. You've got to plan for that. Imagine if you're going for a journey that takes not just days, but weeks and for some months. And also along that journey, you folks that are making the journey, these pilgrims, they're not the only ones that know about it. There are thieves, there are robbers, there are people that know got, they're bringing livestock. They know that they're carrying extra money on them. So they had to face not just the journey, but they had to face potential threats. They had to face harsh weather conditions. Some of them getting hurt along the way. Some being killed and never even making it in their journey at all. So did they face some things in context of this scripture? They did. And why do I bring up this, this background? We're going to see this in point one. God is the creator of all the guardian. Excuse me. God is the creator of all. Guardian of our galaxy, I'd like to say. Again, verse one and two. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So you see, even in this background that had to do with their harsh journey to the temple, today, all of us are on a journey. Life is a journey. How has your journey been? Has it been laid back? No problems, no struggles, really easy. I mean, if it hasn't, we could just say that that's a lack of faith, right? That's a lack of you not believing in God. I'll tell you what, there are churches that teach that kind of stuff. What about the reality of things that are bad that happen? What about the realities that hurt happens? Things are difficult. We all on this journey, and most of us here, again, have faced these difficulties. We faced hardships. We faced trials. And as Christians, even pastors said before, are we, are we supposed to be surprised that these things happen as Christians? No, but it doesn't change the fact that it doesn't sting. No amount of, no amount of just confessing it away is going to change it. Why do we go through these things? 
Could it be because our own sin? We, we sinned. Something was our fault. We call that consequences. I mean, at least we could understand that. I could wrap my head around that sometimes. You know, that's that, you know, uh, maybe your parents say, hey, you know what, boy, that's your bed. You're going to lie in that. You made that mess. You got what was coming. That was your, come on. I mean, at least I don't like it. But man, I can, I can, I can wrestle with that and I can go, okay, yeah, no, yep. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Because how many know we go around that same merry-go-round sometimes? That sin that so easily entangles us. I know Vody Bakken would say, if we don't say amen, someone say ouch. <laughs> but what about other types of suffering? What about when someone else hurts you? What about when someone else does something to you? Someone else has sinned against you. Perhaps it's a result of some, maybe, I don't know. I mean, there's only, I've only heard of it happening just a couple times over all these years. But maybe somebody else got hurt in church. Maybe somebody got hurt when there was some form of leadership. Maybe somebody got hurt in some form of government institutionalized law or something. In other words, of no fault of your own that you were hurt. Because, man, we can, stand on, we can stand on that hill. Let me, let me put my flag on that and post my flag up on that hill because, you know, yeah, you know what? They did me wrong. They did me dirty. I'm sure more than a few of us have experienced somebody, some other thing outside of yourself bringing hurt. Perhaps it was by association. Maybe a parent, maybe a family member from past or present Someone you knew or someone that you've known. Maybe they caused some pain. Maybe it was their fault. Or perhaps we experience suffering in this life and the like because we live in a fallen and sinful world. A turmoil from the beginning of Adam's sin in the garden until now. Regardless of any of those types, and I'm sure that there's some more, but inside of that, do we get to say, that's not fair. I'm a good person. I'm not like that one over there who did this or did that. I don't deserve that. Or that person, man, they was just, that guy he was just a young guy. He was just a young, they were just, man, they had the whole life. They did nothing wrong. How come that had to happen to them? Their whole life was ahead of them. In a way, when we say things like that, it could be synonymous with saying something along the lines of, God, do you even know what you are doing? I mean, I, I know that I was hiding behind that big oak tree, and that's, that's really big, and I know you might, might have missed me there, but hello, things haven't been going like they're supposed to. This is not how I planned it. I had this all mapped out and all you got to do is get with the program. 
Sometimes it's how we act. We may not say it, but sometimes it's how we act. I had it planned and it wasn't supposed to go like that. And this isn't fair. And if, and if in that, our actions are saying something like, God, I don't think you know what you're doing. Right? It's one of those things where things are going on and it's, you hear somebody and you're talking and you go, listen, I hear what you're saying, but your actions are screaming real loud. Be careful. You see, I was looking at this and then R.C. Sproul made this comment. There has only been one good person that suffered unfairly and he volunteered. So as we wrestle with why have we gone through? Why are we going through? Why are we dealing with all of this stuff? Sometimes we can look back in the midst of that and see God's providence in our lives. In other words, why has he allowed something to happen? See, God's providence only happens in reverse. We don't get to see forward to see God's providence in why things are happening. I mean, does God owe us anything that he needs to lay out his plans and totality for us ahead of time so that we're better prepared? I mean, that's like, you know, when I was growing up, dad, where are we going? Boy, you'll know when we get there. I mean, you know, I mean, as parents, did you break down to the minutia everything to your kids so that, that they could approve? I mean, if we were to even go to a, even a monarchy, a king, or go to Europe and talk to the, you know, who's on the throne now and say, you know what? I think you need to listen to a few things I got to say. How far do you think that might go? But when we look at providence, something, you know, as a story in the Bible comes to my mind, I'm sure it's familiar to a lot of you. It's the story of Joseph. I think through Genesis 45. But Joseph, as we know, right, he's, he's Jacob's son. He's favored. And all of his brothers were okay with that. Right? Oh, right? His brothers were jealous of him. So much so, they want to kill the boy. But no, 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 we can't do that. Let's dig a pit and throw him in the pit. And then let's go back and tell dad that he got killed by this wild animal. And in the meantime, let's sell him off to slavery. We can get a little something for our trouble. After all, that guy's been a pain in our sides for I don't know how long. I don't know who he thinks he is talking about all these dreams and visions, telling us we're going to bow down to him. You know, I mean, if anybody's running the show, man, the, the eldest one, you know, hey, I'm going to run. Come on. Sells their own brother off to slavery. As if that wouldn't have been bad enough. He's in jail. He gets accused of all kinds of things. Things did not go Joseph's way. I wonder, could it have been 
that maybe just one time, because would it have been plausible to say Joseph had some times where he's like, God, are you kidding me? Why is this? What did I do to deserve this? It's not my fault that my brothers are jealous of me. It's not my fault that dad gave me that coat. Why do I have to pay the price for their jealousy? It could be fair to say. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50, if you like. Or I will, chapter uh, 50 again, 18 through 21. This is afterwards, by the way, right? We know that there was a famine. God had given Joseph interpretations of the Pharaoh's dreams. There was preparation to handle the famine and the things that were coming about. So Joseph was being used by God in this time. And here at the end, now all the people from the surrounding areas are coming to Egypt. Why? Because that's where the food is going to be. So we pick up in chapter 50 of Genesis, verse 18 through 21. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear. Now let's stop there for a second. Why do you think Joseph would even say, Do not fear? Oh, come on, listen. Somebody did us wrong. Oh, man, yeah, listen, guess what? When I see you, let me catch up to you, son. Right, you, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, you, you, got, you got me. You got, you got me. But watch your back. Don't sleep at night. I'm coming for you. Come on, if you don't think that they weren't thinking that. Joseph says, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good Mm, mm, mm. to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus, he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. That had to have been God. That had to have been God. But do you notice that Joseph is like, am I I in the place of God? But now you can see an example, God's providence of why he allowed Joseph to go through all of the things that he went through so that he could save some of those people as they were that day. And what they meant for evil, God meant for good. So God had a plan. Didn't necessarily consult Joseph or anybody else around that could at least tell Joseph about it. You see, we we ourselves might even look back at our own lives and recognize God's providence of perhaps maybe why we went through some of the things that we went through. And we go, oh, Lord, 
I see now why you allowed me to go through that. God's like, oh, that's so nice. You recognize those three things out of the thousands. I'm also reminded of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 12. And this is Paul speaking to Timothy. Just after Paul is encouraging Timothy in his faith, and he's wanting him to fan the flames of the gift that God has given him. And in verse 8, he's saying, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Now listen, there is a lot. That could be a sermon, man, in of itself. There's a lot to unpack in that alone. But Paul the apostle suffered as many saints before us did. All people Christian or not, are going to face some type of suffering. But notice, Paul is suffering for the gospel. Which, by the way, all those that are Christians, all those that are his, are expected to do so as well. So how, how was Paul saying he was handling that suffering? He said, by the power of God. Why was he going through some of those times? For God's own purpose and grace, which is in Christ. Paul trusts that God will guard him. You see, Paul's focus, who he was looking to, he was trusting in God through those sufferings. I mention this again because, again, everyone's going to go through trials, Tribulations, whatever adjective, name you want to put to this thing. The question then is going to be, have we ever tried to rely just on ourselves? Because we're so witty, we're so wise, we're so smart, we're so strong. I mean, we can shoulder it. I got big shoulders. Come on, bring it on. I could handle it. Do we turn to other things other than God? Oh, oh, no, no, we, yep, yep, we turn to God. But that's like the last resort, right? (laughs) 
The reality is some have been hurt so bad that they've turned away from God. Some even blame him. And it's a hard thing. We're not promised a life without suffering or pain or even to know exactly why all the time. I do know this. At some point, this life will be over. As Paul has mentioned, that day that was entrusted to him, we all will have a day. It's appointed once for man. And then we'll face judgment. Where will we be for eternity? What good is it, even if you could choose and everything could go so smooth, you could have everything and anything that you really wanted? What good would it be to have everything to gain the whole world and lose your soul? When life's events bring suffering, loss, and confusion, who or what are you looking to? Is there help that you can count on? Where does your help come from? Point number two. He is our covenant keeper for his namesake. Let's look again, Psalm 121, verses three through six this time. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Now let me just say this to get this out of the way. This has nothing to do with sunburns, right? And hoping that there's a full moon so that they could see the path on the line. So we'll not talk too much about that part of it, right? Again, it's metaphorical here, right? But what I do want to talk about is I want to talk about this word keep or keeper. You see, these words are used six times in these eight verses. And it's worth mentioning the Hebrew meaning. I mean, it's like we, we know that when Christ says something in scriptures and mentions it a few times, we know what? That it's probably something of importance or something to pay attention to. Six times in eight verses. Come on, we, we got to be able to get the hint. I, I know I, w- I, w- I, was, I was trained to pick this stuff up when I was growing up. Dad was, my dad, boy, I'm going to tell you, I tell you two times. I'm going to tell you one time. If dad had to say something multiple times, how many know you got to outrun dad? He's going to catch you. Oh, yeah, I used to say that when I got older, dad. <laughs> you can't catch me. Oh, yeah, no, you coming home sometime, son. You're going to get hungry. (laughs) Right? That's like next to the, I'm going to find you, boy. And by the way, as a side note, my parents will be at the barbecue, so feel free to 
to question some of the things that I have said about my dad. Dad, I love you. I do. We, we, we have a really, really good relationship, and I thank God for that. I really do. But I will tell you that there's importance here. This mentioning, this Hebrew word is shamar or shamai. And it occurs over 400 times in the Old Testament. And it's translated in a variety of our English words, things like preserve, care, keep, guard, protect, or hedge about with all diligence. The first time this was used in the Bible was in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Which we all know through Adam's sin, he failed to guard and keep it. So Genesis 3, 24. He drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And Joshua 24, 17. For it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery and who did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. So here we can see three examples of this Hebrew word shamar, to keep, to guard, and preserve. Sometimes, though, as I read some of these scriptures, when we're reading these three verses, I've got to ask the questions. Why does God say he won't let your foot be moved? Why does he say that he will keep you. And by the way, who does God promise that to anyway? Is it because as human beings, we are so awesome? Always good. Always obedient. Never sinning. Never doubting. You know, God just wants us to live our best life now. Perhaps God, in his old age, has realized that he has been too hard on his children of the past. He doesn't want us to go through some of those same things. Or is it because God is faithful in his covenant promises to his people for his glory, for his purpose, for his plan? And might I add, even when we are not faithful. God has always been faithful to his people. Even from Adam to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, and more, all of which, including us, have failed to be faithful to God. Yet God has remained faithful to us. So again, when we look at this, why does he do it? Well, Ephesians 1.11 talks about God working all things according to the counsel of his will. 
2 Peter 1.4 talks about how God has granted to us His great and precious promises so that through them you can become partakers of the divine nature. Psalm 23.3, as Donna Moeller last week during Bible study pointed out, which has just been sticking with me. God leads us in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Not because of how great we are, what a good job we did. And that one thing over there especially, man, that got some really good brownie points, so God's indebted to you on that one. (laughs) Romans 11 talks about Gentiles, that is non-Jews, that is non-believers, who come to Christ, they become grafted in and become part of God's family, thereby able to receive all of God's promises, which are yea and amen. God does these things for His glory, according to His plans, His will. And man, along the way, family, We get to share in those promises when we were the ones not being faithful anyway. Come on. You ever had somebody stick up for you? Maybe it was a a fight in school. Maybe it was somebody that protected you when you couldn't protect yourself. Maybe somebody covered for you when it could have been bad for you. Maybe somebody vouched for you. Maybe somebody even recommended you for something. You know, they put their neck on the line. Hey, I'm going out on a limb here. But somebody stuck up for you somehow, some way, when you couldn't do it yourself. Do you remember what that felt like? It's kind of a good feeling. How much more I wonder if God, the creator of heaven and earth, was the one sticking up for us, protecting you, covering you, guarding you, preserving you, even when you didn't know it. Come on, we recognized a little bit of God's providence. But what about the majority of the time when we haven't? In spite of all the things that we have gone through, God has still kept you for a purpose, for a reason. His plan, His purpose, His will. So that in all we do, we bring Him glory. Whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever you drink, you do it for His glory. He's given you the very breath and the very strength in the first place. And I know sometimes we lose sight of it. We wrestle with this sin nature. We wrestle with this tension. Paul knows every time I go to do good, evil is right there with me. Now, this generation would say the struggle is real. But it is. 
But what if the perception that we can perceive this through, that we can stand and believe that God is the one protecting us. God keeps, he protects, he guards those that are his so that his will and purpose will be done, bringing glory to God. Point number three. It's verses seven and eight of Psalm 121. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Wow. Does that mean that God keeps us from all evil here on earth forever? Well, we can see that that hasn't happened. Come on, remember, this is a metaphor. I mean, no more uphill battles from here on out. I just need to believe in God will take away all my problems. Amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I believe it means, again, for those that are His, God will see to it that our journey will make it to eternity in heaven with Him. In other words, He won't allow sin to have complete dominion over you and I, those that are His. Romans chapter 8. Verse 33 through 39. Romans chapter 8, verse 33 through 39. Man. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Man, if we just didn't see something way back in Genesis chapter 50, when Joseph certainly had the authority and the power to crush his brothers... Don't fear me. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not the one. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. So who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation Distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Now, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. In all creation. I mean, that, that means that, you know, for you hikers that might encounter Bigfoot, or those that are on top of the mountain that might come across some of those alien invasions. <laughs> come on. And no, nothing, nothing is going to separate you 
from the love that God has for you. Nobody can snatch you from his right hand. Christ will save all that God has given him. For those that are his, Paul has said, Christ died for you, was raised from the dead. He's sitting next to God the Father and he's even praying for you. In all of these devastating, hard, dangerous trials, times of hurt and severe pain, And in this life, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. And he said, by the way, nothing, not the past, the future, nothing in this creation is going to separate you from me, from his love for us. And that alone, family, friends, that alone ought to be life-changing for someone hearing that right now. Lest we lose sight of that, it doesn't matter what we're going through. None of that's going to take you away from Him loving you. Seeing that sin ultimately will not have dominion over you. He's going to see you through all the way to the end. When I think about that, you know, it's kind of funny how when you're young, you don't think about when the end comes, right? The Bible says tomorrow's not promised to anyone. But as we start to get older, you know, it, things start to, the, the, the lens in which we look through starts to change a little bit. You know, I'm still at a place where I feel like in my mind, I can still run like that. I can still jump like that. And then I try it and my body doesn't end. <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> you know, I'm like, you know, I mean, there's just some of these harsh realities. But as we, as we look at our life, and, and maybe some of us are still saying, man, God, are you, are you finished with me? No. No, not yet. No, no, he still wants to use you. He still wants us to face these things, these times, these trials in the power of God. Trusting him, knowing that in Christ, who is our grace, he said he would never leave you nor forsake you. He's going to give you another. That where he's going right now, you can't come just yet. But he's going to prepare a place for you. If we can see through scripture that God has never lied. We should stand firm in these promises that he's given us. Even now. He's not done using you. And when we look back, I pray that maybe, maybe there will be times of hope that when we look through why we have went through, that it could be for a time like this. 
There's still people here on this corner of 6th and Del Mar Circle that need to be reached in this community. That's going to happen with us, family. God wants us to be witnesses. In spite of the hurt. Well, you know what, Lana? You know what, last time, man, I was trying to help this dude out. And you know what? He did it wrong. Okay. Just be careful when we're thinking that. Lest God deals with us and what we've done wrong. I want to encourage us this morning, family. God is faithful, even when we're not. Not because he owes us something. Not because of how good we think we are. Not because of who our parents were. Not because of our associations, our denominations, our affiliations of where we're at. For those that are his, you're a child of God. You're co-heirs with Christ Jesus. This morning, we have seen that God not only provides help, he is our help. God promises to keep and protect us according to his will for his glory. See, when we When we pray that his will be done, we know that we can stand firm that it will happen. When we align ourselves with God's word, man, come on, dad's protecting you. Because it's not me, right? Remember, it's, it's, you ever, you ever growing up and, and, and if you had siblings, and for once, it wasn't me that was in trouble. But it was my sisters. And God, you know, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, this is a miracle. <laughs> and, and, and dad says, go tell your sisters to do this. Oh, yeah, I could do that. Walk on downstairs. Hey. You need to get up and go do this. <laughs> You're not the boss of me. Oh. Dad said, you better get your hind end up and go on over there and do that. And they're looking at me. Did dad really say that? I'm like, okay, don't do it. I just watched the butt whooping. <laughs> it wasn't my authority that I was saying it in. When we line ourselves up with God's word and God says, no, it's going to happen. So we can see that he, if he said he is our protector, he's our protector. His purpose, his plan, his will, his way. Does he not say his thoughts are higher than our thoughts? His ways are higher than our ways. Did Job ever get to rightfully answer God? I mean, I can't imagine. He just lost everything. 
God had been protecting everything of his this whole time. No fault of his own. Outside circumstances. Devil wandering to and fro. Winds up in heaven. Hey. Yo. Lucifer. You seen anything like my servant Job? Oh yeah, he's all acting like that because he's on easy street. He's got the gravy train. You take that stuff away, he's gone for sure. Okay, you're going to do all that, but you'll not touch his life. And we know the story. Until Until the very end. And then it's like come to Jesus time. I think this is where it came from. Because, right? Because then God is now dealing with Job. And he's saying in the Steve Martin translation, Boy, I'm going to ask you some questions. And you're going to answer me. Where were you when I formed all of this? Where were you when I told the oceans they could only go this far? How do we answer that? None of that was, did, did Job ever get to say, that's not my fault? He couldn't even say, Lord, that's the woman you gave me. I'm just saying it because of Adam, right? Just, my wife's not here, that's why. You know, I'm just, tell her I said that. But I should have said stop the tape, Jack. But, too late. But hopefully in all of that, that we can see that God does protect us according to his plans. And lastly, we've seen that God's promises to protect us from all evil, giving us eternity in heaven with him. Again, keeping sin at bay. Keeping sin from completely having dominion over those that are his. And you've heard me this morning say that God keeps those that are his. And that these promises are for those that are his. How do you know if you're his? And what does that mean anyway? Pastor says this every Sunday. Every Sunday, pastor says this. Romans 10, 9. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Family, friends, this is repenting of our sins. This is confessing and believing in Christ and in Christ alone. And because of what Christ alone has done, we can now walk in all of God's promises. In fact, God then adopts you. He grafts you in as children. And he makes us co-heirs with his son. And all of the promises that God has made now pertain to you because you're His. And as His, He will see you through to the end. There was nothing, family, that we did to deserve it, to earn it. No smart choice we made. This is all about what God has done, what Christ has done. So I hope this morning that through our life's journey, we look to Christ alone, trust in Him, and know that He will preserve us and keep us and guard us 
according to his promises, according to his will, according to his timing, according to his plan. That in all of it, to be used of God is a glorious thing. And I know, I know that many people have experienced severe tragedies and loss and hard times, disappointments, sadness, and much more. I couldn't even begin to comprehend some of life's experiences that some people have gone through. I know that even in some of that, some have lost their hope and lost their trust in God. Family, we need to be sensitive to that. They need restoration. They need to see that through the power of God, through the Spirit of God that dwells in us as believers, we can extend grace, love, mercy, such as what was given us, undeservingly so. Someone's wronged us, we can forgive them because we've been forgiven ourselves. We can love on someone because we've been loved far beyond what we deserve. For some, it seems like maybe they've done some things so bad that they don't even feel like God could forgive them. Their past is that hard. Come on, we don't, sometimes inside of these four walls, we don't, we, we, life is, is good. But listen, there are, there are people that have had some hard times, have done some things, and they come to God. Wonder what it would have been like if they would have turned their back on Paul. Not without trying so before when he was Saul. Hey, church, I know we've been out there, you know, wrangling some of y'all fellas up and taking y'all downtown and, and, you know, I mean, I'm throwing some rocks at you and, you know, he's kicking you. And you but it's, it's all good now. God's changed me. How would we react to that? There is truth, though, that God does transform people. In all walks of life, that we could be sensitive to that. We ourselves deserve death. Have we gotten what we have deserved? So again, who are we to condemn? Are we in the place of God to judge that way? Family, there is a whole community around us. May God entrust us that as we lift up the name of Christ, that he will draw all men to him. That as he draws them into this house, may we be found loving and gracious courageous, graceful, kind, long-suffering, patient. Because some of them feel like they've done so, so many things so grievous that God can't forgive them. And we need to let them know that God does and can and will. Maybe tragedy has happened to somebody so much so that they're angry at God and they blame God. It's not an easy, I wouldn't even know where to begin sometimes talking with somebody other than to just listen and in some way just love on them. But family, it doesn't change the fact that God is still God. God is still gracious. God is still loving. God is just. 
He is righteous. It doesn't mean that we don't get to stop trusting him. It means that we trust him all the more. So you can choose in any of these situations or these scenarios. You can run away from God or you can run to God. Because I can tell you that God has never changed. And he's standing right here waiting for us. And the Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Do you know in the Greek it means to stop what you're doing, do a 180 and come back to God. And the place where it says that he will draw near to you, it means he never left. He never left us, family. And isn't that true? I will never leave you or forsake you, he said. So I pray this morning today that in all of us that we can all repent. We can all turn to God and believe Him fresh and anew. Let's pray. Thank you for listening and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church go to www.cbcaurora.com